so excited to be with you all today. You know, I have been given the opportunity to get to hang with these folks on Counter Stories. I'm not a usual on the show. I'm filling in for today for Luz Maria Frias, and I'm so excited to be here. My name is Cindy Modales Garcia, co-founder of the Courageous Change Collective. I'm Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church and senior partner at the Dendros Group. I'm Don Eubanks, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. And I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group, VP of Programming at Ampers, and Counter Stories producer. And so I have really been thinking a lot about hustle culture. I don't know if you've all seen those t-shirts and those memes that are out there that say things like, wake up and grind, or, you know, wake up and hustle. In my community, we like to say, ponte pilas, you know, get on it, get your hustle on. Hustling definitely shows up in my life uh, and is a huge part of my community. And I've really been reflecting on the many complex layers of hustling traditions. And I'm curious if hustling, hustle traditions, hustle culture resonates with you at all. If you all have had to develop your own side hustles and what that looks like, if there's something uh, with the hustler tradition that lives in the everyday stories of your communities. So I'd love to just hear from you all, you know, my counter story crew on how hustling might be alive in your lives and communities. Well, that's, that's, that's how I grew up. I grew up Mm -hmm. with, with the side hustle game. I, I, (sighs) I, I'd be with family members and and they'd get, I'd be out. I remember I've done everything on a side hustle growing up from from being on a corner with coolers selling Gatorades and stuff like that. Don't nobody ask where we got them from. We just had them and you needed them. And so we got it uh, uh, everywhere from that to, you know, my mom always had multiple jobs, you know, official and unofficial. So, you know, everything, you know, I'd, she'd get home from from working at various things and you know, factory line jobs and stuff like that. And then we'd be cooking plates and slinging dinner plates and, and just trying to make it, make it work. I remember, uh, all kinds of moments like that, where there was always, there was always a side hustle going around and, 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 um, and everybody was on theirs from everything from, from cooking food to, uh, the handyman that should pull permits (laughs) <laughs> we know how those <laughs> stories can go sometimes mm-hmm. uh, to the point mm-hmm. where we sitting around a car like don't, we I never knew that you took a car to a repair shop because all the bros would get around and everybody would take their little pieces of knowledge that they knew and put it together and somehow we'd keep these beaters going years after they life so like mm-hmm. yeah I, but I, that was back I grew in up the, in that side hustle culture Anthony I was just going to say that was back in the day when you could work on a car <laughs> right without computer stuff exactly mm-hmm. it was like that with my grandpa I was like whenever anybody had an issue with their car we'd take it to grandpa's house and then it was fixed and it was only in like the most dire situations where we took it to a, a, you know an auto shop to get it done and it was just like all the uncles got around just, just like you're explaining Anthony all the uncles were there and they'd all figure it out and if they couldn't you know that was the very very last resort was to actually hire somebody to come and do it. And the same with, you know, when we, the first house that we bought after living in government housing was a two-bedroom rambler uh, with eight kids in our family. When we moved, we only had seven kids in the family. No, when we moved, yeah, when we moved, we only had six kids in the family um, into a two-bedroom rambler over on the west side. And so we refinished the basement and we did it to, to code. So we put in you know, um, what is it called? We put in the egress window and everything, but it was just Mm -hmm. all my uncles coming over and doing it. You know, we had the supplies and mom would make a big feast and, you know, the uncles were just in the house every, every day, finishing it up every weekend. You know, that, that's a, that's a real good point. Cause I'm thinking of your, of your, your question, your setup, sister Cindy. And, uh, you know, I immediately took that to the survival hustle pieces, but, there was like multiple like definitions of it. Like I had mm-hmm. folks in my family who were hustling to the point where like it it, it wasn't altruistic and it, it and it wasn't above above board. So there was that hustle that some of my that that folks in community came in. But there but there was then there was the survival hustle. But then there was also the like 
just rabid entrepreneurship hustle. Like I, hmm. I got family members who figured out how to how to make businesses out of things that I, I would have never imagined making that go. And and they pushed pieced together some amazing things that that I that just gave gave that kind of you never I, it, it it was so ingrained to the point where I I experienced hardship, poverty, struggle, and things like that, but never never hopelessness. Cause like I always had this thing in the back of my mind that I can put something together because I got all these examples too. So I think there's some benefit in that as well. So I just I'm starting to think about it here in your your examples of like multiple levels of hustle. Well, you know, Anthony, now that you know, now that you've kind of expanded that definition, because I have to admit, when when Cindy first brought this up. You know, <clears throat> I, I think that I immediately went back. I went back to when I was a young man growing up in, in North Minneapolis. And back then there were defined, there were defined categories that we referred to as hustling. And like you said, you know, they weren't above board. And there were certain classifications, individuals who would kind of fall into that category, like pimps, for instance, right? Mm. Pimping was one of the biggest hustles in in the community. Um, and there was a lot of it. I mean, there were a lot of young men who were, if they weren't actually pimping, at least were trying to emulate that lifestyle, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So the, there's that term of hustling. And that, I think that was the one that I kind of got locked into and so I thought this category was, or this discussion was going to be tough because I'm thinking, well, I remember all that, you know, a lot of, so, you know, shooting dice, shooting dice, you know, I mean, there was all kinds of things that happened in the hood growing up in North Minneapolis. But now that you've expanded that, you know, because, you know, my, like you said, um, I was poor, right? And so I can remember um, when it only costs 10 or 15 cents to catch the bus, not having 10 or 15 cents to catch the bus. So, you know, so in order to have money, then I also then was hustling because during the summer I would go and mow yards during the winter. I would, I would shovel sidewalks, right? I mean, I was always doing something because that was the only way that I could get to any kind of money in my pocket that was mine. My mine and, was skate money. So so skate money. I, mean, I but you know money was money. You know, but, yeah. but but you know, and and when I think about it, I mean, I did that all summer long, right? I would. There were certain houses, usually the same houses that I would mow their yard. I would come back and shovel their sidewalks during the winter time, and first snow, man, I'd be out. I'd be. Out, you know, and, and uh, and and shoveling those sidewalks. And I have to admit, I would try to stay away from those corner houses because the corner houses had sidewalks Double on duty. both sides, <laughs> but they wanted to pay you the same. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, so they were trying to hustle me. <laughs> there, there used to be right off Minnehaha, um, uh, between Lexington and Victoria, in that little strip where the bowling alley used to be. Um, now it's across the street from from uh, a religious goods store now, but there used to be this little can machine where you could bring in cans and dump mm -hmm. them all in there and get your change out of, right? I remember one of the hustles I always used to have is you had to have your $5 to get into Saints North. And I would always come up short because I was, I was, a ch I was like, uh, my, my dad put put this hustle mentality space in there, right? There's never a quarter, a dime, or anything you find on the street that you shouldn't pick up, clean off, mm -hmm. and put in your pocket, right? Like, don't leave free money on the table. Now he's a tax he's a tax preparer, so I think you know there's some connection there to the ultimately. <laughs> but but one of the things that um, that I will never forget, I I wanted to go to Saints North. I had the ride out there, but I had to have my five dollars to get in, and I was short. And I was about to, um, I was about to get to hold Aisha Jackson's hand while we skated around in the slope. So this was a big Saints North like t deal, right? And so, but I ain't had the change for it. And I remember calling all the homies up, like 
putting out the call, the hustle call, like I ain't got the five for it. Nobody else will let me hold the five for it. But if everybody can run me some cans right now, and, and so the, we got on the street. I remember we're having bikes and bags, and we put enough cans together. I mean, it was it was ridiculous. We had to figure out how to even get them there. But we got all these cans in there, and I think we each walked away with, you know, two dollars a piece. But it was the two that I needed to f- to finish that five. And then you know we had we piled into a car illegally, quite illegally, because there was some every one of us mm-hmm. in there to get out to Saints North, you know. And then I remember us having to walk back because we didn't plan out the ride back. But <laughs> it, it was, you know, it was it was when I think of, of like hustle culture in the space that I'm in, like. Like, I have some stories that just make me sit back and smile and go, hell yeah, we did that. There were situations when, Cindy, when you brought this topic up and I was like, oh, yeah, we did that. Oh, yeah. And we did that. And the cans, man, that was my job. My dad was, you know, my dad always made us collect all the cans. And, you know, at Mung Gatherings, there's lots of cans. And we would bring them home and we we would step on them. You know, we didn't have a can crusher. We were the can crushers. And then dad would go and cash it in. And then one time dad took me and one of my sisters and who had been crushing all the cans and he gave us the cash. And we felt so bad because dad didn't get any cash out of it that we split it with him. And like he kept telling us like, you know, it's only a couple bucks. Like I don't need it. But I remember I was just feeling terrible because it was during a time when, you know, my mom was home. There was eight of us at one point. And so my dad was the only breadwinner, and I remember my dad getting a 25-cent raise and how it was a big celebration in our house. And I, at the time, I didn't realize that was 25 cents additional per hour. I thought it meant <laughs> at the end of his paycheck, he got an additional <laughs> 25 cents. And so that was really confusing to me. But, you know, growing up, our hustle was was our parents' hustle. My mom Mm -hmm. was at home, and we were working from home before working from home was a thing. Big boxes of beads would show up at our door, and we would put together earrings. Mm. And we would ship them back, and they'd be sold. Or um, the other thing we did were the the zippers. You know, on the the end of your zippers on, like, bags and stuff, there's always Mm -hmm. a little tag, cloth tag. We would put those on, and we'd get 10 cents a piece. And so we would spend all day after school and on the weekends putting little tabs on zippers and that's how my mom made money. Oh man, when family members started businesses. Oh man, some sometimes I loved it, but sometimes I was like, "Oh no, so and so starting another business." Uh, cuz that means that all the kids going to work in the shop to get it up and running. At one point my dad opened a at one time my dad opened a store over where Little Mekong is now. Consider huh. Little Mekong. And we had a little store, but my dad still worked his regular job, which was second shift. So he'd be in there in the morning and then we'd be in there in the afternoon. I think my eldest sister was like 16 or 17 and she was like in charge. And then we'd have the kids in the back sleeping on the bags of rice because we were watching nieces or we were watching our younger cousins or whatever. And they'd take naps on the bag and on the back and the back of in the back on the bags of rice. And I always felt terrible because like my dad, we would go to events like the soccer tournament and my dad would say, hey, go hawk, you know, go try to sell this or go try to sell these um, water guns to people. And I hated that. I hated doing that. And at the time, I just didn't realize that was the hustle. But for me and my sisters, we're like, oh, we hate talking to strangers. Please don't make us talk to strangers. Yeah, so there are all these stories. I think it's such a powerful thing because our hustles made so much possible in our lives. They meant resources. They got us out mm-hmm. to our activities. They filled a need and they gave us skills. So when I hear these dominant narratives that folks of color are lazy, unproductive people or a drain on society, I'm like, who are you talking about? We all got like five jobs. I don't understand what you all are talking about. (laughs) Like the concept entrepreneur doesn't know anything until you got your family doing five side hustles with other families. I also have so many stories also of when, you know, the whole family would go and do whatever the job was that the parent Mm -hmm. had. I resonate with all of that. Mm -hmm. That's real for me. Um, There was like this whole, this whole hustling practice that I think made so much possible for us in our life and our community. And I had 
uh, the situation over the summer where I was like, oh, I am so proud of our hustle and I hate the hustle all at the same time. So let me share this story and see if, you know, if any of y'all relate. My partner and I drove down to the motherland, to my motherland of Guatemala this summer. That's where I'm from. And I swear to you, my dad's side of the family, you know, all who live in Guatemala, everybody's got some kind of side hustle. They're selling stuff out of their house. You know, they're always finding something innovative or creative to do. Whatever the need is, they're like, okay, we know how to figure this out. Um, we got this. And you know, we're, we're not the only ones. I know that Guatemaltecos are not the only ones who know how to mm -hmm. take on a good hustle. If you've ever listened to Trevor Noah's Born a Crime, he spent three years in the township hustling, hustling, hustling. And when you listen to his stories, the listen to the very detailed way he talks about hustling, I was just like, dang, you know, every minute, every moment, every resource was being used, you know, or even if you think of JLo's movie Hustlers. Um, there was this huge system on Wall Street that she totally hustled as she was trying to meet her needs and meet the needs of the other women that she was connected to, right? But a lot of what we see with the stories is that the systems are broken. So folks wow. have to hustle, mm -hmm. right? And so here I am driving down to Guatemala with my partner and we get to the border between Mexico and Guatemala. Me and my partner in our Prius wagon with our two dogs, Luna and Mango, in the back of our Prius wagon. And we get there and we have all these issues with our paperwork. So we're having a hard time getting into Guatemala from Mexico. Uh, I could, that's a whole part of the story that I'll have to save for another time to get into the details about how ridiculous policies are in the borderlands. Um, so we're there and we're having a hard time and these guys show up and you have to understand that, you know, in the borderlands, it's all outside. It's not like at the airport where you're going through a line and it's all inside and it's, you know, clear and orderly. No, it's all outside. It's like an open air market, right? So you go to like one building, you do some stuff there, then you walk down the street to another building, then you go across the street to a little kiosk. It's an open aired reality. So uh, you, you're moving around a lot. And there's a market there. There's like people and businesses, uh, you know, they're hustling, right? Folks are like, oh, you're going to be hungry doing all this stuff that's going to take you forever to do. So I'm sell food. You got all the street vendors on there. Other folks are like, oh, you're going to need money exchange. So I, I got a little, you know, come over here, stand with me over here in this corner and I'll exchange your money. Uh, someone else is like, oh, you're going to need to make copies of all your documents. So I bought a printer or I have my cousin buy me a printer and it's here in my house. So you're going to have to come here to my house and I'll make copies for you uh, out of my living room using my little printer. It's like little grandma down the street who, you know, has her has her copier thought about this, got her hustle going on. Um, so these guys come up to us and they're called tramitadores. So they help with the process They help you process your paperwork. They're unofficial. They're dudes on the side hustle, uh, known as tramitadores. And I'm like, it is clear to me that y'all are hustlers. Let's just be real. That's what you are. And they could tell because they know their hustle, right? They could tell that we were having issues with their paperwork because the system made no sense. It was convoluted. We did everything we were told to do. And even so, the immigration system going from Mexico into Guatemala didn't work well. There was a huge gap. There was, it wasn't a seamless transition. Uh, we were not set up well to go from one system to the next. Um, so one minute, you know, you're, you're trying to talk to an official in Mexico and, and they're like, okay, here's what you got to mm -hmm. do. And then you go onto the other side of Guatemala and they're like, nope, that's not how we do it. We do it a whole other way. You're totally mm -hmm. set up. And we were stuck in that space between Mexico and Guatemala where the systems overlapped and did not cooperate with one another, despite doing everything that we were supposed to do. We were stuck, right? Uh, so they were giving us a hard time and we were vulnerable and we were stressed out and we were there for hours. The systems didn't work. Um, 
And we know that folks are usually pretty desperate and scared right. when mm. in these situations. Mm-hmm. So these tramitadores, these hustlers were like, we got you. We know that these systems don't work. We have figured it out. We're going to help you out. We're going to grease the wheels. We're going to pay off some bribes. You know, we know how to make the system work so you can get through. We know how to deal with this all the time. That's what they do all day, every day. That is their hustle. And they, they do it quite well. So we were at their mercy in many, many ways. Um, and since we were stuck in this no man's land, uh, we had to figure out how we were going to make a way out of no way. And I appreciated, I was grateful that we had somebody who could help us. They were the reason we got through, right? So I was like, I recognize your hustle. I respect it because everyone in my family has a hustle because this is a real need that we got to figure it out. Not just us, but hundreds of people that come through here every day. But also I'm totally getting hustled because I need your help because the system is broken and we're set up in these impossible situations, right? So we got through, we got through, even though we had to pay a whole lot of money, uh, they had what we need. They were going to create a way out. They were going to help us figure out, but they also didn't totally do this out of the goodness of their heart, right? They would say things like, you know, I'm, this is really a calling. I'm, I'm a man of God. I'm from your country. I just want to let you know that the Lord has sent me to, you know, to pave a way for other folks. I just want to see good people get through. And I'm like, right, but how much are you going to charge me? Right. And then they say, oh, but actually you got to pay X, Y, or Z and we've got you between a rock and a hard place. So, you know, so it didn't really feel like God's work when I was getting exploited. Right. Uh, and I know that there are sometimes, you know, we get into in places where we're hustling among our own family and our own community, but there is some mutuality. There is some connectedness, like some of the stories we've heard already. But then there are totally these hustles uh, where really it's everybody's getting screwed mm. over. Nobody is actually thriving. And here we are with some degree of exploitation and vulnerability that just feels gross. You know, that is hard. But we all got to make a living, you know. We all got to figure it out. So that it was that tension uh, between the reality of being vulnerable to these systems, but also having our vulnerability exploited uh, as these these folks in this borderland community were just trying to figure out how to meet their own needs. You know, they created their own black market system because their communities couldn't thrive. And here here was the opportunity to like make a way out of no way. So I was like, I'm so proud of my people. We are so brilliant at always, like no matter what systems our colonizers impose upon us, we figure it out. We keep systems going. Um, but at the same time, uh, it was so hard to get exploited and be put between a rock and a hard place by my own people. You know, when I'm here in Minnesota, it's usually white folks who are the gatekeepers. This was a different situation when you're, you know, thinking about that on a global scale. Um, it was hard to really encounter other brown folks upholding systems of colonization, the systems of the borderlands, right? That didn't work for any of us, to be frank. That's why everyone had to do their side hustles. That's why bribes are everything in the borderlands. So I was thinking about, I've been reflecting on all of this, right? Of, of this both and of being really proud of uh, finding a way despite systems of exploitation, of colonization, of borderlands, of globalization, uh, and resentful that the survival also relies on exploitation, right? That that has, that has been part of the mix. Um, and I kept thinking, oh, what is this hustler tradition here? What is this, you know, hustler culture here? What is it costing us? What is it costing us to uphold these hustles rather than having the space and time to pause and be like, wait a second, these systems don't work, y'all. We got to change things instead of staying in the hustle, instead of profiting from these, because no one was making so much money that they were actually able to thrive, right? It was just enough to get going until tomorrow's hustle. But no one has time for that when you're, you're doing that day to day. So... So I'm curious for all of you, 
you know, uh, as you think about the hustles in your life, what did they make possible for you? What was possible? What was cultivated? Uh, what was brought into your life because of these hustles? But also at what cost? What was hard about the hustle life? You know, because this hustler tradition is both a point of, of innovation and pride, but also it's hard to be out there hustling folks. There are hard conditions that we're enmeshed in that make this um, so necessary for us. So I'd love to hear from all of you more about that. Well, I think it, I think it was, uh, I think that it was, um, when I think on, yeah, I'm biracial. So when I think on both sides, um, it, on my native side, it was cultural, right? I mean, when, 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 uh, Anthony and, and Hilly were talking about gathering cans, it's also generational, right? So they were young at a time where they could collect aluminum cans and recycle. That didn't happen when I was a young young kid. Um, we had we were uh, you know we were I was still exercising my hunting and gathering uh, cultural roots, but uh, it was uh, bottles. Back then, we could collect pop bottles and get a nickel. You, you actually took it to the store and got refunded. But on the cultural side, on the Native American side, the hustle, not, you know, using that terminology, was, was uh, tied into our traditional way of life. So as Anishinaabe, we were hunters and gatherers. So one summer I spent with my grandfather and my great-grandmother, and with my grandfather, um, we would go out and check his traps and so he was trapping different types of animals for their fur, for their meat, that he then in, in turn would take to the trader for the furs, the meat he would distribute throughout the village, well, throughout the where we lived up in uh, Malax and, and around the area of Isle. He would, he would um, distribute that meat among his, his family. Um, and he took me and and I learned in Minnesota, I learned where all the blueberries, where all the gooseberries, where all the choke cherries, where all the different berries grew, because we would pick these berries day in and day out and then take them to the trader and turn in our berries and then get paid. Now I I ate like a third of what I would pick because I was only like 10, right? So I'm picking, putting putting some in the pail and then the, the rest in my mouth. So I know it, it cut into my profits, but it was tied to our cultural hunting and gathering way of life. My great-grandmother all summer long would, would um, take birch bark or the hides of these animals that that her son, my grandfather, would collect, and uh, she would make leather goods out of the hides. So she was making moccasins. She was making other items out of the leather hides, and from the birch bark, she was making baskets, bird houses, and uh, other little knickknacks. And she would make those all winter long, all during the fall. And then during the summer, she actually would move to the other side of the lake, Lake Malax, and set up a temporary shelter for herself, make her own little fence, and then hang these items up and sell them to the white tourists that would drive up and down 169. So that was... Yeah, it was a cultural thing. It, it, you know, there were there were buddies of mine who would fish, right? You know what what's the what's the big fish in in the state of Minnesota? Walleye. Oh, walleye. Exactly. And so they would fish. They would fish. They would fish, and then they would put fillets together in a in a in a bag and freeze them and bring them down to the city and sell. Right. I mean, so a lot of those hustles were built on our traditional way of life, um, which on many reservations, 
Um, there just weren't a lot of jobs. So that's how folks hustled to make a living, to get by. But there, there's something in your question, Cindy. You know, I I, I know the, mm-hmm. the survival hustle, and even that was a double-edged sword at some times for, 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 for us coming up, right? Because mm-hmm. sometimes there was an extraction. Um, and... and <laughs> Dang, see, I, I don't know how you get me to go here right now. Um, okay, so so there were some things that mm-hmm. we did to survive that made us play with right. the definitions on the edges of our own morality. And so, you know, I, mm-hmm. I don't I don't recall anybody doing anything that harmed anybody else because there was a big emphasis, like folks, you know, you weren't getting real real hurt, right? So, um, not in a way that endangered anybody or it lasted long term and stuff like that, but. But there, there were things where, well, I'll just say one of the things that I got, I, I learned to do really early is to talk good. I could tell a good story. I could, I could entertain really, you know, mm-hmm. good. And so I, I could sell you something, right? I ended up <laughs> growing up at one point selling Cutco knives and, and, you know, do things like that. But, but I remember, you know, I would, so I would get something from one of my cousins or mm-hmm. somebody like that and be like, hey, here's some DVDs. Here are these things. Here's, here's something like this. Go sell it, right? And so I go and I sell it and I, and I, and I do a good job. And I, I remember getting into certain points where, and this was on the cultural thing too, right? Where somebody would have me come and tell a story or sing a song or or eventually I learned how to, how to, how to drum. And there were moments where I could I could tell that this person wasn't curious. They weren't buying a a you know some beads. They weren't saying, "Oh, that looks cool and it's interesting." And I'm it, it was you are I am buying a piece of you. And I can go back and think of times where I took stuff from folks just because it assuaged their feeling of superiority over this little black kid. And and I knew that if I leaned into that, I could make a few more dollars than I naturally would just by letting them have their racism. And so I, I, there are moments like that that are difficult for me to go back and look to. I, there, there was some shucking and jiving. And so, so, so there's, some, there's, a, there's some pieces of that. You know, when you ask the question about what it costs, there's some pieces of that that I can remember. Um, I, I knew if we needed just some basic supplies... One of the hustles that wasn't really an entrepreneur hustle, it was a white guilt hustle. I could go out and I could find the right white couple walking into the grocery mm-hmm. store and I got them. Like as soon as I saw them, made that eye contact, I knew I could get in there and get you to buy me some the, the supplies I need. So my mom would, would be like, hey, this is what we need right now. And I look at her and, mm-hmm. and, and I look at her struggle and I'd be like, I'll be right back. And I go out there, and I would. And so there were hustles like that that just didn't feel great, right? That 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 leave me going back to unpack. There was also mm. the 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 space of never being able to rest, right? I I I always used to be jealous, in particular of white mm-hmm. friends at school, but just because of the how it shook out. But uh, I I would be jealous of of kids. You know, we'd get around and we'd be like, "What'd you do when you got home?" Well, I. I sat around and did this, or we did this, or we went out and played this. And I was like, yeah, there wasn't a day that I could go by that I didn't have in the back of my mm-hmm. mind. Did right. I? Is there a hustle that I missed so that we could make sure to have to eat? And so I could I could I could go back and look at times where I never really got to rest. And I think there's a there's a the dual edge that comes to that. Oh yeah. I think there's a there's a difference a little bit about like some of the hustle that we do now as adults. You know, and, and going back to what you said, Anthony, reminds me of um, in your story, Cindy. Um, you know, I like to travel a lot. I've been to ta- I've been to Southeast Asia um, several times. The first time I was there, I remember um, going to you know this this temple or something, and um, there were two little Hmong girls. They were maybe seven and eight, dressed in their Hmong gear, and they'd stand in front of this temple and charge tourists for photos. And I was with a cousin of mine who um, who is Hmong Thai, and we stopped to talk to them, and we said, you know, what are you doing here? And they just said, well, we can't go to school. Our parents don't have any money. This is we're the breadwinners at this point in our home. Uh, and they kept saying, you're Hmong Americans. You don't understand. He's like, no, no, no. I'm Hmong Thai. I, you know, I'm from here too, and and I know your struggle. And and I remember my cousin Thong going. Well, he said, if my friend gives you twenty bucks. Mm-hmm. 
uh, 20 American dollars, you know, <laughs> putting it on me, which I was happy to do. And he's like, well, you go home today and, you know, try to learn to read or this or that. And they said they, they took it. And they're like, yeah. And then after they took the money, they're like, you know, we're just going to come back when you guys are gone. Yeah. Like, this is just our life. And it was the same way when I was in Vietnam uh, on the streets of Sapa, which is up in the um, high mountains near the, the uh, border. It's a, it's a whole trekking village of, of Hmong people. And the women are the ones who have taught themselves English. And they stand on every corner and they say, hey, do you want a tour? Do you need a guide? I'll take you up to the mountains, you know. Mm -hmm. And the kids walk around selling trinkets, knowing that when they're under a certain age, they're cute and and tourists will buy yeah. uh, little you know, ornaments from them. And and that was the hustle. And I, and I remember sitting with them and going, you guys shouldn't, you know, should be going to school and blah, blah, blah. And, and then I asked my friend who lives in Sapa, who's one of the tour guides. Um, I said, oh, you know, I want to show my husband what a real Hmong village looks like. Can we go to your village instead of the tourist village, the village that is set up for the tourists to go see? So we went to her village and and it was, it, it was so much different. And it was, you know, I... It was a lot like the Hmong Thai villages that I stayed at, but it was a, a complete different from completely mm -hmm. different from what my husband, mm -hmm. you know, had seen in the tourist village. And it's like you, there's two, you know, there's two ways. If you weren't with me and you were just another tourist and you asked these women where they live, they'd tell yeah. you they live in this village, that this is their village. But they actually live 20, 40, um, you know, minutes away. And then I saw their kids coming home from school and they had mm -hmm. to climb the mountain, the side of a mountain to get up and down from school. And so some of the girls that I talked to in the city that were selling the trinkets, they're like, going to school, is it costs money. It's not free here. And the, you know, and if we're going to climb a mountain up and down every day, we're going to do it here yeah. and be able hmm. to make money. You know, and so... I know I'm taking advantage. I've been taken advantage of, quote unquote, right, by giving them a bunch of money, because uh, out of my own guilt, it really is. You know, I'm like, okay, you're selling that for two bucks. I'll give you five. You know, and I know it's out through. It's out of my own guilt, and I know that they're going to come back tomorrow, even if I give them a mm -hmm. hundred, two hundred bucks. They're going to come back tomorrow, and that there's nothing I can do. I, I you know. <laughs> So, 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 so in, in the topic of travel, I, I haven't lost your your initial question, Cindy, about is there is there something that we lose to this? Because I think, um, I I think separating the because because I can't look back at some of the hustles I did, even that cut, and that didn't feel great, and they were hard, and they were stressful. Yeah. But I also got a whole lot of skills. Like there's a whole lot of worrying I don't do as a result of those of, of those hustles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I also think about the social aspect. Like when when my hustle came in in, in the content was with other folks. I remember, um, you know, when when I've been able to travel. Right, it, it's not like when other folks and friends of mine and colleagues of mine have gotten mm -hmm. to travel because because we we do the budget travel. So we 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 packing sandwiches kind of thing, right? And so <laughs> we we scraped mm -hmm. and got to Panama, and one of the things that happened was we wanted to go fishing. But, you know, we learned very mm -hmm. quickly how much it costs to, like, do the fishing trips that you see people in pictures. <laughs> so we were clear. Oh, yeah, this ain't about to be that. So, <laughs> but yeah. because of the, and this is the, like, if, if there's the, the side of the sword that cuts, this is the side that, that, that like, also gets you something. Because we, we were really quick to be able to spot some of the hustles that we knew. We were just going to yeah. put our hustles together and everybody's going to walk out of here with their knees met, right? And so... I mean, we ended mm -hmm. up in a smaller <laughs> boat out in the ocean getting super seasick um, and, and having to, to <laughs> you know, understand that there's not as many safety procedures and stuff in there, right? But when we out there respecting somebody else's hustle, right, we out there and, mm -hmm. and we're trying to catch fish and they're just throwing lines and hooks mm -hmm. in and pulling fish in like on some mastercraft stuff. We were learning all kinds of stuff. And it was it was an enjoyable experience. I got seasick, but it was an enjoyable experience, right? And then we're like, well, we know we're in this space of hustle. So mm -hmm. one of the things you learn in that space is closed mouths don't get fed. Like you you gotta get over the the mm -hmm. the, the the sense of self and go ahead and ask a question. So we ended up with all this fish. And me and my and my uh brother-in-law and my and, and my and my best friends are we're sitting in there, we're like, hey, so uh you know anybody who could uh hook this up for us? Like, like, 
the way folks do here. And he thought about it for a second, took took out his 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 little phone, which I ain't seen that kind of phone in a in a minute. Um <laughs> and then phone. all of a sudden, right, all of a sudden we pull into an island called Basamentos, which we didn't know about, but mm-hmm. all of a sudden we see all these black folks, because it's the Carib- it's the Caribbean island in that in that uh, archipelago area that we were. And we were like, dope. And then he disappeared. Mm-hmm. And we we're like, oh, is this? And we're trying to figure out, is this the hustle coming to bite you in the butt? That's or right. <laughs> do we need to trust the hustle? And we trusted yeah. the hustle. Sure enough, yes. he took us to his ex-wife's house who <laughs> has a food truck who yeah. saw this opportunity for some extra. So she yeah, ranged she it up to be able to get there. And now we're sitting in the living room in somebody's house at Bassamento Island. Uh, folks are playing basketball on the street. Like, like we realized... Oh man, we just came home real and she lays out the table for us and we had the best freaking meal mm-hmm. we had the entire time we were there because we understood and could respect uh, and all the people in the boat together were we're all entrepreneurs, we all own our own businesses. So mm-hmm. like we we put it together. We even got him to take us all the way back to the place we were staying past the, the boat curfew. Because we pulled together some 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 extra stuff and 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 left some of the fish with them. So like we hustle respects hustle too. Yes. So like as I'm yeah. looking at these swords, yes. I'm remembering yeah. the 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 hard things that it had to come up with mm-hmm. and the low points and the points when the hustles didn't work and you was eating weenie water soup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes and, when the cab driver tells you that his cousin makes the best something and takes you to their restaurant, it's true, yeah. and that yeah. has happened to me before. They know it. It's like. I'm like, oh, I know he's just doing the hustle. He's saying his cousin's got this great restaurant in this part of town that we've never heard of. But yep. I let him take us, and it was the best food we'd ever had. Yeah. <laughs> that I mean, that yeah. hustle is real. And, and when you talk about, you know, what do we lose? I guess, like, as an adult, all of us here have done consulting. All of us here, you know, have, uh, uh, most of us here have our own businesses, right? And and there's a lot that you lose when you do that. First of all, like my parents, they didn't understand that, you know, what a consultant really was. To them, it was like you come to America, you get a nine to five job, you get health insurance, you know, you get a 401k. Like that's the thing. So for a very long time, they told people I was unemployed. It didn't make sense mm-hmm. to them that I was at home, that I, I didn't answer to another person. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to ask for time off if I wanted to go on vacation. It was very it was very different for them. And then, right. and it was really concerning for them. I mean, one of the big pluses about me marrying my husband at the time was that he had health insurance. Yeah. Like my parents oh, were not, they were not a fan of him and our age difference, but they're like, okay, he's got good insurance. Like you need to get on that, you know? And th- and th- that was one of the reasons why they supported it. But, you mm-hmm. know, as somebody who has been hustling for so long in, in my own consulting and in my own business, um, it's it's losing out on family time, right? Like a lot of people think, oh, you're your own boss. That means you can set your own hours, which is true. But sometimes when you need the money and you're especially if like if you're like me and you're working with tiny nonprofits that can't pay a whole bunch, you're working 50, 60 hours a week and it's hard to get away. And sometimes even when you get away, you're working. I mean, you know, my husband and I, the first time we were ever able to afford doing like an all-inclusive resort it was a couple's place because, you know, we didn't want to go to a place that allowed kids. Sorry. Um, but it was, it was, you know, and so Keep it was like, you know, <laughs> it was that's mostly like, Give me couples. the name of that place because that's where I went. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so. Forget them kids. We going somewhere. Just saying. So it, it was all couples and I was in the, our hotel room the first two days, just like in the hotel room editing. I had taken on a job last minute and I was just like, I can't say no because, you know, I don't know if I'm going to make money next month. And that was the fear, especially when you're starting out as a consultant. Mm-hmm. You're like, I don't know mm-hmm. how much money I'll make next month or the next three months. I'm going to take this job. And that meant me being stuck in a hotel room at this beautiful resort. And my husband on the third day came up and he said, you need to come with me to the to the pool. People think I'm this weird dude here by myself. <laughs> and I, I keep telling them my wife is here, but he's like, I see the same people at the, the bar every day and they and we chat and you know, you guys know him. He's so friendly. He loves to talk yeah. to everybody. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, and then they ask me who I'm here with, and I always say my wife, but you, but you've never come down with me and they don't uh-huh. think you exist now. Now he's like 
He's like, I'm the weird <laughs> dude at the bar. <laughs> and at that point, it it really hit me at that point. I was just like, oh, my God. Like, you know, I yes, I love to start my own thing, to do my own thing because I wanted to be in charge. I wanted to choose my paths. But it's getting in the way of my family, you know, at this point. Yeah. I was listening to an interview with somebody and they were asked the question, who taught you how to rest? And she was like, what? Yeah, you know, what's you that? Just, you know, she's <laughs> like, what? She's, you know, as somebody who had really developed a rest practice and she was like, I, she's like that I'm trying to teach myself now, you know? And I thought about that for myself. I'm like, who taught me how to rest? And I was like, I still don't quite know what those words even mean. I'm working on it, but I can tell you who taught me how to hustle. Like, I can tell you all Mm -hmm. these stories Mm -hmm. and all these ways, Mm -hmm. and I can show you all the, like, the brilliance, the intelligence behind, like, folks who hustle, especially kids who hustle, man, these are sharps. Those are my best life skills. Like, folks are, even when it's heartbreaking that you're, like, you know, taking advantage of white guilt or the tourism, there is an intelligence there. Even when you're, like, I wish you would just take these $20 to just be home, and they're, like, I'm going to take these $20 and then get more. Like, there is a brilliance there, as heartbreaking as it is, that, like, the brilliance is imprisoned by the hustle to survive. Because the hustle is, like, a day-to-day like none of us have figured out a hustle where like, and now I'm independently wealthy and I don't have, I just do this one hustle. I'm set for life. I do this one <laughs> hustle and I'm set for, it's like, it's just enough. So you got to be super on, you never rest. Cause it's constant on it, on it, on it, ponte pilas every moment, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, there is no, there, what is rest or what is even a break? You don't get a break when you got all this. You know, you may have your official job, the one job, you know, that may bring in your benefits. But once you start hustling, it's hard not to be like, and what else? Because none of these jobs, none of capitalism actually is consi- is concerned with what do you need to be well. They're just mm-hmm. like, you get X amount for this job. And obviously, that's not going to be everything we need to be well. When like we bear, we have to have all these legislative fights for just a minimum wage, which is not a living wage, right? Hustle, hustle, hustle. And so it was really, you know, one of the things I had to think about was like, I am so proud. I am so, so proud of how my parents taught me to hustle. The intelligence there was something I held on to. And to my humanity, when people told me I was less than, not as intelligent because my parents didn't have these degrees or I didn't have these certifications. But I was like, I know how to hustle, y'all. The apocalypse happens. We're set. Y'all are going to like fall apart. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know what you're going to do, but we are going to survive. You know, we already oh, survived. When COVID, when COVID came and everybody started working from home, yeah. it was like, we knew how to do that already. I know we, how we to do set that. up for that. You need mutual aid. I know how to do that, but I don't know how to rest. I don't know how to stop. No. I am stuck in this place of like, we have to survive. We have to survive. And even now that I have a stable job that is committed to my well-being, not to just what I produce, I have my needs met, I have health insurance, I don't know how to stop hustling for survival. I'm like, part of me is stuck in like, I have to do this. And Mm -hmm. even given the opportunity to rest, the truth is I don't know how. Like, no, I don't because know I, autom- I automatically think I'm forgetting something. There's something that I was supposed to do that I wasn't. And even if even if I can't find whatever that is and I actually have time to rest, I can't because it takes me it, – it is so hard for me to come out of rest. Yeah. So when we, whenever we go on any vacation, I need like two days to recover from a yeah. vacation because I need to remember, you know, I've, at that point I've let everything go and I need to come back. And so, yeah. you know, even if we're sitting down and watching TV at night, I've got my phone going. I've got my I- iPad yeah. going. You know, my multiple screens at, at all times because I just, you know, I'm answering emails immediately and I know it's bad for me, but I don't I don't know how to stop. Mm-hmm. You know, the um I I did find ways to um I did find ways to pause but it's mm. I'm, I'm noticing that it's different than resting. And I think that's a very mm-hmm. important question in, in this space because I can think back of fun things that we did, especially if something went well, right, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. we piece together. So, so well, we party hard. Like, we, we figure mm. out ways to do something with nothing. I mean, 
Um, shoot, uh, we, we had all kinds of rent parties. When somebody couldn't mm. make their rent, we went over there, we mm-hmm. partied, and everybody pulled together their little <laughs> ducats and made sure somebody got through. Like, there there were moments like that I can think of. There are moments of just finding a place to go swim, and, and mm-hmm. we ain't need nothing else because we ain't mm-hmm. have nothing else to go do, right? Um, I, I'll, I'll never forget my most heartbreaking moment. We, we spent some time... Um, in, in real deep poverty, we didn't have housing and things like that. And so we were in some programming. And somehow word or rumor had gotten around that there were free rides at Como, right? Mm-hmm. The zoo is free, but there were free rides at the ride part. So we all load up, me and all the other moms and kids and stuff like that. I, I think I was maybe 10 or 11. And and we, we, we get there, and that's not true, right? Mm. So so we expected all this free stuff and we get there without nothing. And it totally could have been a time where we just said, all right, let's just go to the zoo. All the kids is hurt. And I watched. Uh, sorry, y'all, it's a uh, this is a hard one. Um, mm. I watched a look at everybody's faces because I watched the hustle gene turn on because mm. Nobody there wanted to to look at all of us excited kids, mm-hmm. and we could have gotten one little piece of cotton candy and have been fine. Mm-hmm. But um, I just watched that everybody, all these brilliant women in that space, including my mom included, immediately began to talk to each other. Not a word was spoken, but their eye contact, their body language, I could feel... Mm-hmm. This is this is moving into a in, in, into a different space, and I watched them turn on the hustle in order just to try to make this day good, right? Mm. And I think about all the times um, that I didn't know about that mm-hmm. my mom, my parents, mm-hmm. my aunts, all these different folks had yeah. to figure out how to turn the hustle on just to not to have to feel this low point of one yeah. system's not working, two. You know, having a, a a job where it's pulling everything out of you and not giving you what you need to to survive, just for a little moment of happiness. So even, you know, as I, as I think about the pause, mm-hmm. I look back at that day and we ended up having a pause. Why? Because these brilliant women got together, and um, they pulled together a bunch of stuff, and and we we had a got us a little something, and a couple of them knew some folks, and they. You know, knew some folks who worked in different places, so we got a little bit of free stuff. And so they pieced together an experience for us that was amazing. Mm, and then I had yeah. to go home and watch them turn on triple time these mm-hmm. hustle genes, these, these hustle skills, to try to make up the hole that they right. dug themselves in just to have a happy day. So mm-hmm. when you talk about that double-edged sword, like there are moments like that in the space that break my heart every time I go back and think about them. Yeah. You know, oh, so Anthony, I know. It, it, there's something about the look, you know, on, on parents. I, oh I remember just like being young and being like, oh, all my friends get allowances or, you know, and, and all my friends, their families go on vacation every summer, you know, and just being like, oh, we don't have that. And then saying that to my parent at one point, And it's still like to this day when I think about it, I do cry. I was like, God, I was such an ungrateful little brat, you know, being unhappy <laughs> about what we had. When, when my parents couldn't provide it, and I knew my yeah. parents felt bad about it. And now I didn't need something I didn't realize until I was older, you know. Right. And, and now when I think of my nieces and nephews, and I think they're never, they may never have to hustle because they're, you know, they're in the, so, so much better situations than we ever were. You know, when I explained to my niece, you know, uh, she had gotten a new dollhouse. And I said, you know, when we were little, our dollhouses were shoeboxes that we would tape together and all of our furniture for our dolls was uh, made out of cardboard that we made. And, you know, grandma would sew us, because that was my mom's skill, would sew us, you know, little clothes for our dolls. And Mm -hmm. the look on her face, my niece's face was just like, oh, my God, were you poor? And I was like, yeah, we were poor. You know, and as you guys, I mean, well, as Anthony and Don having children, is that something you look, you think about? You know, Don, your children are, are, are adults. You know, and and working and in college, and is that something you worry about? Do you worry that your kids are going to have to hustle? Um, probably, maybe in a different way. I mean, mm. I think that you know, the one the one uh, 
denominator that we all have in common, or at least three of us, or no, I think all four of us, is that we were poor. So, so you know, and then I've been listening to your discussion here, and I, you know, I use different terminology. So what Cindy was describing, what you guys are talking about, I the terminology I would have used and still use because I'm from a different generation is what you guys are talking about. We refer to as being streetwise mm-hmm. and you were streetwise. You know, Cindy describes it as this hustler mentality. Now nah, it was being on the street mm-hmm. and that's was our, that was our alternative because we weren't accepted in other places. Mm-hmm. So we grew up streetwise Right. Mm-hmm. And so being streetwise meant that we we learned different ways of of uh, of bringing things in. Right. Mm-hmm. Collecting goods, collecting money. You know, Anthony, you shared a story because, you know, there are there were times where in order for me just to get from point A to point B, um, I humbled myself and would stand on the corner like we see. So often now when we drive down and come to a light, there's someone at that corner with a sign um, looking for money. Pan, panhandling is what we mm-hmm. called it back then, right? I mean, you know, so I've done that in my life too, just to be able to get bus fare. So, mm-hmm. you know, but we didn't, yeah. So, like I said, so the term we use was hustling. All the stories that you shared, um, I can relate to because I've had those same similar experiences, right? I think one of the first time, you know, the, my, my current wife that I'm with now, the, the first trip we ever took was with some friends of ours and we went to Acapulco and, um, and there was a young man in Acapulco who, who, you know, hustled his little butt off, but that, you know, the experience was the same where mm-hmm. he, we paid him but he, this young man took us to some places on the beach and we, and, and we felt like royalty. I mean, mm-hmm. we had this meal on the beach mm-hmm. in a cabana with no one else around. And, and this young man had locals <laughs> feeding us like we were royalty. I mean, that's what we felt like. Right. And so, and, and, and part of me, um, when I think about that experience, it was one of those situations where we weren't sure if we were going to get what he was asking for or what he was mm-hmm. saying he was going to. But then at the same time, at, at the end of the experience, it would have been something that I would have probably been more than happy to pay him more. And so you have those difference of economies where what he was asking for from my perspective, wasn't that much for what we got, ended up getting. But at the time, you're not sure what that exchange is going to be, right? You're kind of out there on a limb. And um, so, yeah, we've all, you know, we've had that experience, you know, um, you know, similar experiences, you know, my, my sister, my, 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 my sister um, was quite young. And she uh, had to have her gallbladder taken out. And so I was, um, she was in a hospital, general hospital in downtown Minneapolis, back before it was called Hennepin County uh, Medical Center. It was called General Mm -hmm. Hospital. Um, Anyways, me and a very close friend of the family, in fact, we thought we were cousins. We had, we went to the Minnesota State Fair and between the both of us, and by this time, I think we were in, uh, I was like like in ninth grade in, in junior high school, right? But between the both of us, we had like $5. And we spent that $5 playing those damn games, trying to win my sister a, a doll, a stuffed doll. Mm-hmm. And we did it, right? I mean, now who was hustling who? You know, we were having fun, but I'm sure we were, they hustled that $5 out of us so quick. But we did win her a doll. <laughs> but like you said, Anthony, we hadn't thought it through. We spent our entire five dollars. Now we're in St. We're in St. Paul. We both live in North <laughs> Minneapolis with no money. And I remember walking from the fairgrounds 
down Como Avenue, all the way to mm-hmm. downtown Minneapolis, to Ask General Hospital, yep, to oh give that stuffed doll to my sister, because she was in the <laughs> hospital after having surgery, and then leaving General Hospital in downtown Minneapolis mm-hmm. and walking to the near north side, right? But those wow. were the kind of things that we would do, yeah. you know, so... It- and and it and it makes you, you know, one of the things that I'm having because you asked about kids, Lee, and I know we're coming to the end, but um, it 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 has made me try to figure out how do I make sure that my kids have some of these skills without mm-hmm. without the right. trauma that we had to go through to right. get some of them. Right, because they're good is, skills to have, but you also don't want them to, you know. It's that sometimes I'm like, I wish my nieces and nephews experienced being poor for like a month or something, yeah. you know, so that they can yeah. learn these skills because they're great life skills to have. I, I remember I took I, I I decided my kids are going to learn. It, you know, it's, it's one of the things you're trying to resolve your own trauma stuff, and you experiment on your kids. I'm sorry, your parent, you, you're going to experiment on the kids. So, so I'm just going to name it. Yeah. And so, um, and so I said, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna take what I think would be an equivalent amount of money to, if I was younger and had to figure something out. And I said, I took my kids to the Mall of America. We rode the bus because I wanted them to see. I mean, we ride the bus because we're, we're giving them a different life than I had coming up. And I'm happy with that, proud of it. And I ain't ashamed mm-hmm. of that at all. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I wanted them to experience that, you know, one, money don't grow on trees, that, that you know, I'm, I when you do the hustle, when you're an entrepreneur, you work for every single dollar that you get, which mm-hmm. is different than, you know, sometimes when I was working in a nine to five space, I might take a breath for a second and have a mm-hmm. slow work day. Uh, and that's not going to change the paycheck at the end of the day. But mm-hmm. in the entrepreneurial space, every single thing you spend, you worked for. And so there's a different relationship to the dollars that come in there. And so mm-hmm. I, I, so we we get to the mall and I said, look, you've got $5, right? And you can get something, but this is all you get. Don't look to me for any extra stuff mm-hmm. like that, right? And so now they're going around looking and they're realizing very quickly that $5 doesn't get them a whole lot anywhere in the mm-hmm. mall. But I will never, ever forget crawling out of my freaking skin when my daughter hits the Disney store and they've already done the adjustment. Okay, this is what it's going to get. And she picked together like a notebook and a pencil, artwork kind of stuff. And she gets there and she hasn't taken into account tax. I haven't taught her about tax. So she has the (laughs) right number of dollars. She gets there and the lady at the front is like you're you're short. You don't quite have enough for here. And my daughter's like, but I can't, I can't. And I'm watching her go through this, and she's looking at me, and I have been resolute. Oh, not giving you anything extra. Mm. And I made the signals to the lady. She has. She's gonna have to 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 make some decisions. And inside, I'm dying. Inside, oh, I am gosh. ripping apart. I, it, it, she, they had no clue that the all the rest of the day, all the food that we ate, mm-hmm. uh, was me trying to 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 rebuild myself after mm-hmm. this. <laughs> but what happened was my daughter said, "Okay," and she decided that she wanted what she wanted, and she was gonna have to figure something else out. And so she said, "Okay," and she had to go through the process of putting stuff back. And they said, "Well, I can hold it here in case you know you want to go and find some money." She was trying to give me an out to go, like, mm-hmm. give her money and slide her money elsewhere. Right? When we walked out, my daughter—and this is just a testament to her brilliance, not my parenting—because mm-hmm. I was failing. This was a horrible <laughs> situation. I will never do this again. But when she came out and we sat down and she, you know, adjusted and said, "Okay, well, maybe I'll get this instead," and and she was fine. Right. She didn't get what she wanted. It was stuff that she didn't need. So we're fine. Right. Her needs are met. But we ended up being able to have a conversation about and she was at the time she was like six, seven years old. We ended up having a conversation about, you know, what things cost. And she began to ask the question and then she began to get curious about what we did for money. It, It opened up this whole different conversation. And I saw the hustle gene turn on for her. Mm. Because she began to do things like draw pictures and sell pictures and mm. and and there's just these other things that tend to do it. And it wasn't it wasn't poverty motivated. It wasn't mm-hmm. um it wasn't trauma motivated. It was still there, right? Yeah. And that was the thing that made me switch to your question about, you know, what do we lose in this? There's a whole lot of things in my skills as a you know, to, on the hustle that I learned by survival and by going through some stuff that 
It's just horrible. It's just bad. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And some of the stories, you know, we can't share here because mm-hmm. it's one, it's mine, and two, you know, not all of them are the most legal. So that's right. Um, <laughs> so, but 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 what I what I what I saw her do in that switch, I could nurture from a place that doesn't ever have to leave leave her having to feel the things I felt. Right. And so I love your question and raising this, Cindy, to think about what what do we lose to get some of these things? What do we not rest? to get some mm-hmm. of these things in a, alongside what are some things that I never have to worry about because I know I still got that in the back of my my skill my skill bag. Yeah. Uh, so you you just you making me go all over the place. Sorry. That's all the things. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you my friends. I know there's so much more. I feel like we're just scratching the surface, but I want to just thank you all for exploring this something that I think we all hold deeply. Um, and I just want to offer, you know, um, I really appreciate the work of Ada Maria Sassibias. She's a mujerista theologian. And she depicts this really great imagery that I carry with me often where she says, you know, culturally, we inherit, you know, our cultural practices, our ways of being. Uh, she And she depicts it as our grandmother's gardens. We inherit our grandmother's gardens. We do what we do. We cultivate what's alive, sort of. So we inherited this hustler culture, right? And it's these things that's it's about respecting the culture. It's about, you know, having to sometimes t- sell parts of ourselves or be, you know, like not above board. It's about the double-edged sword. It's all these things. Um, but she says that sometimes we have to be real honest and look at what we've inherited because some of the things in our grandmother's gardens build life. They're medicinal. They're pleasing. They're good. But some of the things we've inherited are weeds, right? Things that we are watering that actually are toxic or things that were never ours to begin with, but were invasive species. I think about the things that this global project of colonization and white supremacy has forced us to do. A lot of hustling, our traditions have taken the shape of forced exploitation in systems that we would not survive, but we are too brilliant to lay down and die, right? And so I appreciate you all reflecting on our grandmother's gardens, the hustling, the hustling little patch of our grandmother's gardens, identifying what's beautiful and what we stand by proudly, but identifying also the things that we're ready to pull out, that we're ready to change and exchange because they should have never been in our gardens to begin with. So with that, much love to you all, much appreciation to everybody. Thank you, Cindy, for joining us again. And congratulations on hosting the first time in a really excellent way. That that was, you did that. We did it. Yes. <laughs> Our first guest host was, you nailed it. My name is Cindy Modales Garcia, co-founder of the Courageous Change Collective. I'm Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church and senior partner at the Dendros Group. I'm Don Eubanks, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Malax Band of Ojibwe Indians. And I'm Halili, owner of The Other Media Group, Vice President of Programming at Ampers, and Counter Stories producer. I'll catch you another time. So thanks, everybody. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew and Ampers, diverse radios for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For our full conversation, please visit counterstories.com. Counter Stories.